and welcome to episode 24 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that plays Mind Tower Plant and then plays a Mary Shaker, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Emma and I'm joined by the young pyromancer himself, Scott. How are you doing this week? I am alright. I've had a long but fulfilling week. So uh, this week I completed a buying guide for all of the Commander Precons that came out this year. That's a whole nine Commander Precons all compared and tested. And that's live on Card Kingdom right now. So if you're considering getting into Commander, like looking at last minute gifts for someone or you're just after a bargain, it's sure to help you out. Um, there was so much background research to do. I actually spent like the best part of, I'd say about 12 hours doing background research with deck lists and all sorts. It turned out well. And that's what matters, really. I've also been getting intimately familiar with Dice Factory Tron, which is the deck that I'm looking to branch out to from Blue Tron, because they share a lot of the same cards. Like, they've obviously got the Tron lands and stuff and the Blast Zone and the Expedition maps and everything, but then runs stuff that adds charge counters onto things like Everflowing Chalice and then plays Paradox Engines and does mad ridiculous stuff. It's super, super complex. <laughs> like, I would goldfish a game. It's a very goldfishable deck because it's a combo deck. You can goldfish it, but like a single goldfish can take up to like a half an hour. It's just bizarre. But it's really, really powerful. No one knows how to play against it. And it's really, really fun. So builds have also been very affordable. So Ooh. we might actually have a modern highlights episode on this at some point. Ooh. So if anyone's interested in that, let us know. Do you just like combo off and just throw dice everywhere? Just literally throw dice onto the table and go, I win. You remember my Modern Decks Explain Badly video where I did Hardened Scales, where I vomited a lot of dice? Yes. It's basically exactly just that. So, yeah. (laughs) Outside of Magic, though, I have been trying to sort some last minute Christmas presents and work out how the holidays are going to work for me from logistics perspective. It's kind of up in the air in Ireland at the moment whether it'd be safe for me to go to my parents for Christmas or not. We're just out of a lockdown and we could be in another one by the time Christmas happens. Who knows? So I'm playing it by year for now. We'll have to see how life goes. But on the plus side, we may not have to do this for a whole lot longer. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Thank you, vaccine. Our Pfizer overlords. But... (laughs) Uh, Games-wise, I've been jamming some Genshin Impact again, so there's absolutely nothing new here. It Look, it's just got endless quests, right? There's just, every time I finish a quest, it's like, oh, there's this new one over here. And it doesn't bombard you with them either. Like, you know when you open Skyrim after not playing it for, like, say, even three weeks, and you see you've got, like, 40 quests, and you're like, what was I doing? Where was I going? You know what? I'm just going to start over. Screw this. It's going to take less time to figure everything out. That doesn't happen in Genshin Impact because the quests only pop up once you've completed other quests. So at any given time, you'll only ever have like one main story quest and like say two side quests going. And then there are like daily quests that will take like five to 10 minutes to complete each that just refresh every day. So you're never bombarded with stuff. So I feel perfectly fine in leaving it down for like two or three weeks and then getting back to it and feeling like I have a good bearing on where I was, which is great because it means that all of those times where you leave it for that amount of time and then come back, it's not like Skyrim. You don't feel like you've just wasted a third of a playthrough or something, you know? So that's nice. That's real good. How about yourself? How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Another busy week, so no magic playing for me, unfortunately. However, <laughs> I have been doing a little bit of shopping and a little bit of stonk searching. So I've been Ooh. picking up some of these Endicar Rising expeditions. So in particular, the Fastlands and some of the Commander lands so like the spire gardens and like the sea of clouds because they're really mm. really cheap at the moment and i'd yeah. be interested to fill out like my modern mana based collection so seeing copper line gorgeous for like three to four pounds is just really really good considering sure. like how expensive they used to be 
In terms of content, I have a budget guide on mono white tokens, which is live now, which I just get to gush about venerated Loxodon for half of it, which is great. And also, if you are into Warhammer 40k, I have a debut piece over at Dicebreaker, which looks at some of the best armies within the game. It's a little mm. different than what I'm used to because, you know, it's not magic. I'm known for writing mm. magic, but this was really nice palette cleanser. It was just really cool just to write about something else for once. And yeah, you can see that on Dicebreaker now. Nice. Otherwise, I did pick up Fire Emblem Free Houses because it was in the Black Friday sale and I'm like a couple of hours into it. And yeah, it's really, really good. It has this weird sort of Harry Potter vibe, which I'm not sure I like, but mm. the combat's really, really good, which is the reason you play these games. So I'm excited to dig in more once I have more time. Nice. Yeah, I've heard Fire Emblem Three Houses is good. I've actually, I've heard Fire Emblem is good as a series in general. It's very I good. I actually haven't played any, which I know as like a, an RPG fan is kind of like sacrilege, but... Uh, I don't know what to say. I grew up with PlayStation. There's not really many opportunities to play. Yeah, it, so. and also they're just always really expensive. Then yeah. they never go cheap. Fire Emblem Awakening on the 3DS is probably the best one to start, though, um, if you have a 3DS. Free Houses seems really good. There's a multiple playthroughs because you get to choose a house, and each mm. house does something different. And depending on when you play it, it improves the story. So you complete the story once, but you get to see it from another perspective, which is quite nice. So you have a lot of repetitive gameplay, which I quite like in RPGs. So. Mm, nice. Okay. In housekeeping this week, we would like to give a huge thank you to Stephanie Pace, who is the latest patron of our Cheering Fanatic tier. Thank you very much, Stephanie, and everybody else on our patron for the fantastic support that you give us. It really means a hell of a lot. Yeah, thank you very much, Stephanie, and enjoy the stonks. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. Alright, so going on from last week where we started our brand new Modern Highlights series, we're going to dive into it again this week with a favourite of mine. And we're going to talk about Eldrazi Tron this week. Mm. For people who follow me on Twitter, I've played a lot of Eldrazi Tron since it started. And it's just a good deck to play in Modern. It's always established from a budget perspective. It's a good investment because it's always going to be good. Do you have any experiences with Eldrazi Tron, Scott? Uh, I've a little bit. I've definitely played it a little bit. I've played against it a lot. So hmm. I definitely know how to tackle it. In terms of how to pilot it, though, I definitely say you're ahead in terms of experience here. Yeah. Sure. So Eldrazi Tron, as you can guess, it is part of the Tron family. It's the ugly spaghetti brother of the family. Compared to like Monogreen Tron, which is considered more of a ramp deck, Eldrazi Tron is considered more of a mid-range deck because you play a lot more creatures and you're leveraging lands such as Eldrazi Temple to play those threats ahead of curve. Eldrazi Tron is perfect in a metagame that is fair and solved. Most often not, you use cards like Chalice of the Void to offer disruption. So Modern is a very cheap spell format, so you have a lot of one mana and two mana spells. If that is always prevalent, then Chalice of the Void is in a really good spot, which Eldrazi Tron utilises really well. I will preface that you don't need Chalice of the Void to play Eldrazi Tron. Yes, it is the backbone of the deck, but you can still play the strategy competitively and do well with it without the artifact. Yep. So the game plan is you deploy an early Chalice of the Void and then you use um, your Tron lands and your Eldrazi Temple to curve out threats. So you're looking to curve out from Bornotsir into Reality Smasher, 
cast a big walking ballista. You know, you could do the most powerful turn free trompe and play two Maori shapers and instill mm. fear into your opponents as well. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very versatile strategy. It's very resilient. And it's just a really interesting deck because you don't see many colourless decks around now, especially since Affinity is bit the dust. And with that, there is a bit of history to it. So Eldrazi Tron came around 2016 when Grix's Death Shadow was considered mm. the de facto best deck. And Death Shadow uses a lot of one-mana spells. So as a result, a couple of players went to Brainstorm and went to Metagame. And a lot of people settled on Eldrazi Tron. If you're familiar with Legacy, it is an inspiration from Eldrazi Stompy and Legacy, which also mm. uses Chalice of the Void to great effect. And it's also a weird product from Eldrazi Winter the year before yeah. when Ivogan got banned because that was a very powerful deck. So this is a very fixed and fair version of that deck. Mm. And since then, it's been really, really good. And even from when War of the Spark came out, it's just gone strength to strength because you have stuff like Ugin the Ineffable, Khan the Great Creator. For a long time, Microsoft Lattice was really great in the deck because it was great with Khan, which has now seen a ban, but you still play Khan because it does a lot of good things in the deck. Yep. So, what are the key cards in Eldrazi Tron? So, I mentioned Chalice of the Void. I won't go into too much detail because it's not a card that you can pick up cheap. It's important, and if you are looking to build Eldrazi Tron, you'd want these eventually, but I would not put all your resources into getting these first because it's important mm -hmm. to have the rest of the deck sorted, and then you can look at, oh, I need these Chalice of the Boys and take it from there. Another important card is Thought Not a Seer, which is probably one of the best mm -hmm. Eldrazi creatures printed in recent times. A lot of the time, you want to play this on turn 2 or turn 3, the fact that Four Knots here is a 4-4 and that can take your opponent's best card is such a good advantage to have. Yep. Then you have Eldrazi Temple, which are your extra four copies of Tronlands. You can't build a budget deck without the Eldrazi Temple. You need these from the get-go. And lastly, one that's really recent that I was surprised to see how good was, was Maze Mind Tome. Yeah. Great. A lot of issues that you have in Eldrazi Tron is drawing cards and while your top decks are good because you have really good threats, you want to keep digging. So before you had stuff like Seagate Wreckage and Mindstone, which didn't quite hit the spot. However, with Maze Mind Tome, you can sink some mana into this and just draw and scry away. Mm. It helps you grind out the grindy decks, which is great. And then another key card, as I mentioned earlier, is Khan the Great Creator. Since its release, it has changed how you play sideboards and colorless decks overall. And it just gives you access to your sideboard game one, which is really, really huge. Especially against strategies you have a poor matchup with. So stuff like combo, stuff like graveyard decks, you just unlock so many opportunities and it's really, really good. Yeah, for sure. Kind of the Great Creator actually could be very useful in slowly building up towards full cost Etron with yes. the full four chalices because you can get the four Karn the Great Creator and have them in the main board and you can get one Chalice of the Void and put it in your sideboard yeah. so that you can go and fetch it with your four copies of Karn the Great Creator. Sure, you won't be able to get it on, say, turn two or whatever against some matchups but you are more consistently going to get it in games if you have it in the sideboard. If you only have one copy, because Chalice of the Void is what, like $40 a piece now, $50 Something even? like that. For the price of the card, it is quite cheap, but for a lot of people, it's still quite expensive. It's like the Tarmogoyf effect. Like, yeah, it's cheaper than it has been because no one really plays it, but it's mm. still quite expensive. In a lot of cases, you want four Chalice of the Void eventually, which is what, $160? That's a lot of yeah. money just to throw in one go. So, so yeah, pro tip. Get one chalice, put it in the current board. I would say that about Walking Blister as well. Yeah. Although Walking Blister is far, far cheaper than Chalice of the Void. But oh, yeah. in terms of good matchups for Eldrazi Tron, uh, Grixis Death Shadow is one of the best ones because they run so many cheap spells and a lot of your creatures can go over the top. Mm -hmm. Another good matchup is Azorius Control, which, again, is another really fair deck that you can just go over the top 
especially if you are running stuff like Cavern of Souls. And Fortnite is just a, such a big role model in that deck, just because it can just take away the biggest card and you can just grind them out, which is really, really good. Yep. And more recently, the Luris decks are really good as well, because a lot of the Luris decks are so low-costed, your creatures just are bigger in power and toughness. So Reality Smasher goes through a lot of damage. And also your Blast Zones are really good, because you just play it on one or two, and you can just clear the board and then just turn sideways. Mm-hmm. Two things I want to note here. One is, with Grixis that Shadow and Azorius Control, they do get a little bit worse if you don't have, like you said, Cavernous Souls or Chalice mm. of the Void, but they don't automatically become bad matchups. They're still good. No. And then on top of that, with the Luris decks, if you want an example of a deck that struggles against this, I was literally testing with my friend Ian yesterday his budget Etron against my budget Martyr proc, mm. which is a, basically a Luris deck. It's not Luris as a companion, but it is a Luris deck. And I couldn't deal with the fact that he could just game one, get Karn the Great Creator, go get like three or four pieces of graveyard hate, and then just lock me out of ever using Luris. Mm. And then he's just playing like four fours and five fives, and I'm sitting there with my one ones, and I'm like, I'm, I'm losing this game, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, like chump blocking reality smashes never feels good for you right <laughs> and even then like the semi-optimal Eldrazi Tronless that run walking blister is great against a deck full of X1s oh yeah oh I got, I got shot to bits yesterday <laughs> I got absolute holes popped through me adding counters onto Ballista over and over again and destroying literally everything I played. It was a nightmare. Brutal. On the flip side, Eldrazi Tron does have some pretty bad matchups. The key one being Ponza, because it attacks your land base and your land base is really, really important. So mm. stuff like Blood Moon and Pillage are just absolutely awful. So yeah, avoid that matchup if you can. You can win it, but it's just very, very difficult because if the Ponza player is good, they will attack your towers and your Eldrazi temples, yep. which it's just hard to come back from. Another bad matchup is Mono Green Tron, just because they are a more refined Tron deck so they can turn free Khan when you play two Mattery Shapers it really doesn't matter their threat density is much higher like Ulamog's a really good answer as well when they play that on turn four again you can win it but you just have to be aggressive you've just got to curve out and just hope they don't have you know turn three Khan turn four Ulamog which is bad because you have to assume it in a lot of cases yeah. just because it's Tron and then you've got the power creep of the last year that is Uro is not a great matchup um, mm. just because they generate way more value than you and extending that prime time's really good because you know it's a 6-6 six, six. it eats reality smashes for days and amulet titan's always a tricky matchup just because they just grind you out more lastly combo decks so stuff like ad nauseum can be quite tricky storm's mm. a pretty sketchy matchup as well because you just have no way to interact with the combo the best way you have to attack these decks is just by being aggressive or getting a piece from your Calm Wishboard and just hope for the best, which, again, is not great, but that's yeah. the best you can do in a lot of those cases. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. And so with that, there are a bunch of cards to be aware of. Obviously, the first one is Blood Moon because Blood Moon hoses you. You can win through yeah. Blood Moon. I, I played enough Tron to know that Blood Moon isn't the be-all and end-all, but mm. it is very difficult because using your expedition map to get waste is not great. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. lot of the time it's a big feel bad but there are times where you can just curve out so you can just play a turn four fort not see it turn five reality smasher and sometimes that is fine but it's rarely fine <laughs> you yeah. just want to cheat ahead a lot of the time yeah and then uro like i don't need to talk about uro because it's uro you know it's a six six that just gains you life does all this stuff and it's really really hard to beat once it's on the field and a lot of your removal does not deal with Uru because you have like Dismember, Spatial Contortion and Warp and Whale does absolutely nothing as well. So you kind of mm. have to two for one. You have to block and then use one of your removal spells to deal with it. Or Blast Zone. 
I guess. Yeah, Blast Zone. But even then, it doesn't feel great because they can just bring yeah. it back because of Escape. It's just really difficult. And then other cards to beware of are combo decks that are namesake. So stuff like Ad Nauseam, Titan Shift. You just have to try and play around like the namesake cards. So mm. a card like Warping Well is really good in this instance because it can counter the Escape Shifts. It can counter a lot of the enablers. Mm. And this is where Chalice of the Void comes in. And does help those matchups. But in a lot of cases, it's just better to be aggressive and just get your curve out early and just turn sideways and just hope they don't have it. Again, it doesn't feel great, but that's the best you can do in that situation from experience. Yep, generally speaking. Mm. One thing that I've learned as well is that against a lot of like the Amulet Titan builds mm. is the Chalice on Zero is pretty good because it turns off their Pacts. Yeah. The summoning pact and the pact of negation, which could be quite good. Yeah, I think Chalice on zero, one, two, or three is just your baseline in modern. But yeah, so there are various ways to build Eldrazi Tron on a budget. And I did do a write up of TCG player not too long ago, which I'll link in the show notes and it'll be in the description as well. So you can reference that. So I've updated the list since then because there's a couple of new set releases and it's kind of invigorated the strategy somewhat. Mm-hmm. I have opted to go for Eldrazi Mimic which is a really, really good way just to present that aggression against those decks that you need to be aggressive against. So you add nauseums and your scape shifts. This is a really good way to do it. It can be tricky because Lava Dart exists and Eldrazi Mimic is a 2-1 and there are times where you might lose some tempo. However, when it sticks on the field, just playing this into a Fortnite Seer, it becoming a 4-4, then a Reality Smash event, it becomes a 5-5. You're really piling on the damage really, really quickly. And the Thanks fact it's a two drop just really helps the curve. You can play it off an Eldrazi Temple and it's free off an Ugin the Ineffable as well, which does come up from time to time. Yeah. Ugin is huge in this deck. I love this like, card. I think it's the most underrated card in War of the Spark, like Planeswalker, that just is not talked about enough. I think the card's great. I think so too. I think I would even go so far as to say that they're also kind of, I, I suppose, like form radical versions of additional Tron lands nearly. Yes. Because they just reduce the mana needed instead of give you more of it. Sure, like you need six mana in order to play it, but like once it's down, like you basically just play out every card that you have. Yep, and the plus one comes up from time to time as well. You can just generate a mm. board from your top deck and it can remove some tricky threats as well. Yep. But yeah, I normally just see it as a discount on the rest of my deck, which is great. But now it's a powerful card. Even the more established Tron decks, so Monogreen Tron, have started to run a couple. It just shores up the times that you don't get turn free Tron, you still have that value. Mm. But yeah, so I've gone with Eldrazi Mimic as a placeholder on Chalice of the Void. It's not Chalice of the Void, but it just means you can be a, a bit more aggressive. And then you've got Maze Mind Tome, which is probably one of the best cards to come for the deck for a long time, which we talked about earlier. You've got a couple of copies of those just to mitigate those clunky hands. And it always gives mm. you something to do because you're not a very reactive deck. You don't do stuff on your opponent's turn. So mm. the fact that you have something to do is, is really, really nice. Yeah, Maze Mind Tome has been great. Like I said earlier, I've been playing around with it in Dice Tron. It just gives you so much value for all that extra mana to be able to just mm. pump it into drawing extra cards because that is one thing that this deck is not good at at all and that is actually drawing more cards. Maze Mind Tome has hugely helped that. Old Eldrazi Tronless had to rely on Seagate Wreckage which requires you to have no cards in hand <laughs> for you to draw cards. But no, Maze Mind Tome's great. Running two to three copy of those is just a really good way just to make sure you're always doing something. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the list is pretty stock. So you have your Matter Reshapers, your Thought Not Seers, you have your Reality Smasher, then you've got a couple of Embringers at the top end which I'm quite a fan of. I know that's a little bit old tech now because Walking Ballista's kind of replaced it. But I just love Embringer as a great value engine. The card is ridiculously good. 
Yeah, it's a good card. It's really good with the uh, Basilisk collar. That's the one. Yeah. Also, Walking Blister is great with the Basilisk collar as well. For sure. I noticed in the mana base here, you've got a Scavenger Grounds as well. Yeah. That is one of my favourite lands. I love it. One thing that the last couple of years has also helped is that the utility lands have become really, really good. So and good. Thanks to Expedition Map, you can get these throughout the game. So Scavenger Grounds is a good one. I've got a Radiant Fountain in here just to respect the aggressive decks. Yeah, like Bonders Enclave is another one I've seen as well, which is a little bit spicy because your creatures are so high power. You know, yeah. you get to draw cards off it as well. But yeah, this is a very stock Eldrazi Tron list. It doesn't do anything fancy, but Eldrazi Tron is not a fancy deck. You're not going to do any cool or neat plays, but what you will do is just mow over your opponents for the reality smasher and just turn sideways. Yep, often that's good enough. Yes. So although this list does not run Khan the Great Creator, you can add a couple in and do a budget Khan wishboard, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I believe, when we did a $100 artifact challenge. Worth checking that out if you want to add Khan to your list. There's some really good options in there. Yeah. There's a lot of tips and tricks you can play with Eldrazi Tron, and there are quite a few, and Mm -hmm. there is a lot to learn. Eldrazi Tron is not one of the easiest decks to play. So one thing to note is that Embring it untaps on your opponent's turn as well. I've seen so many people forget this because it essentially has pseudo-vigilance, which means you can just draw cards, you can ping your opponent, do whatever. So it does have a trigger on the opponent's upkeep where you untap it. So it's just important to remember that. Triggers are very hard to keep an eye on in Magic. Mm-hmm. As mentioned earlier, Walking Ballista or Embringer with a Basculus Collar is as gross as you think it is. Basculus Collar has Life Link and Death Touch, so if you deal one damage to a creature it will die because it has death touch and you gain the life off it as well it's really good at keeping the board clean it's even better if you can keep putting the counters on the walking blister as well Mm -hmm. another thing with eldrazi tron is that you will mulligan a lot more than you realize Mm. eldrazi tron does function on a five or a six hand if you have a seven that does stone cold nothing just ship it back fortunately eldrazi tron is better now with a london mulligan and you're not necessarily looking for time free tron I tend to take a lot of hands that have a creature, an expedition map, and an Eldrazi temple, for example, because it's probably one of the most important lands in the deck as you use yeah. Tron as a support piece rather than a centerpiece. So learning to mulligan with a deck is quite hard, as mulliganing in general is very difficult anyway. But yeah, just take some time just to place with some hands and just get a feel for it. Another one, when you play Chalice of the Void, remember your triggers. You know, if you have a Chalice on one and your opponent tries to play a Lightning Bolt, just tap the Chalice of the Void. Just go and you can't do that. Because there will be some opponents that will try and pull a fast one on you. If you play on Magic Online, that offsets the issue completely because Magic Online does it for you. But yeah, playing with Chalice of the Void in paper can be quite tricky because so much is going on. You can just like let this lightning bolt through and not realise. And you, it's good to yeah. be proactive with your Chalice triggers. Yeah. Like if you're playing friendly games and stuff, then, you know, like it's obviously fine. But if I was playing in a tournament, I would 100% Chalice check somebody. If they're just going to yes. let everything resolve through a Chalice and like not remember that they have one yeah. that exists... I'd be like, that's okay, sure. <laughs> Guess I'm storming off. Patrick Sullivan did it in Legacy when yeah. he played Burn. He just made people challenge it. We got to make people remember. And it's a really good way for you to remember as well. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah. And also challenge check yourself as well. You don't want to play like a spatial contortion when you've got a challenge on two, for example. That's significantly worse to do as well if you're in a competitive tournament because yes. you're purposely avoiding a trigger in a way that will benefit yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, Chalice of the Void is a very difficult card to play around and play with. But yeah, just take a second to think, go, wait a minute, what's happening? And you can just point at the Chalice of the Void and just be like, nope, you can't do that. And don't make me tap the sign. Yeah, don't make me tap the sign. <laughs> 
So Khan the Great Creator as well, you can get really, really cute with dealing with opponent's artifacts such as Damping Sphere. Damping Sphere is very, very good at hosing Tron decks because it turns all that mana into just one colourless mana. So what you can do with Khan's ability, you can turn Damping Sphere into a tutu and then you can remove it with a walking ballista or dismember to unlock all your mana. Khan's really, really good at turning artifacts into things, even things that aren't your own. So it's very good to just think, oh, how do I deal with this ensnaring bridge? Oh, I can turn it into a free free, then I can kill it. Um, as mentioned earlier, you'll be fetching for Eldrazi Temple a lot more than you realise. The Tron lands are a backup. They do help you get ahead on mana, but is Eldrazi Temple is the one that you really want to get. Because your Tron lands do not get you a turn to Fort Seer, which is the reason why you play the deck. You want to leverage mm-hmm. into that. Yep, absolutely. With that, Fort Seer also has a lead the battlefield trigger, which is your responsibility to declare to your opponent because it is your trigger. And in a competitive setting, you can get a warning for it. It's just simple as Fort Seer leaves the battlefield, my opponent draws a card. It's just as simple mm-hmm. as that, but... I've seen a lot of people get penalised for it because they haven't declared the trigger because it is their responsibility to do so. 100%. And then lastly, Spatial Contortion can be a combat trick. I have killed many people with a Spatial Contortion on a Fortnite Seed to push through the last points of damage. There's nothing wrong with trying to use it proactive in trying to trade up or to finish off the opponent. There's also been times where I've used it to kill a Mattery Shaper just to get some action from the top of my library. Yeah, can work. Yeah. Right, so that's everything on Eldrazi Tron that I can muster from my brain. If you want to see the budget deck list that I was talking about earlier, you can find that on our Patreon. Also, we'll have the show notes up as well, so you can reference this and learn about the deck. We also have a TCG player article as well, which does a budget guide as well, which can help if you're wanting to upgrade the deck later on. Yeah. I will say one of the most beneficial things, I think, from having the show notes is that tips and tricks section. Because you can have it as like a little cheat sheet for when you're playing the deck that you're picking up or you're playing with or whatever. To have all of those little things there so that you can just pick them up and read them. Like if you're going to go and play some games and you need a quick refresher with the deck you haven't played in like two or three weeks, you just Mm. have a quick look at it and be like, okay, remember my triggers. Remember that Thought Not Seer that I have to remember the Leave the Battlefield trigger and always fetch an Eldrazi Temple if I can and you know that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's just really good to have. We like to share as much wisdom as we possibly can. So I think a lot of what I've said kind of rings true and will always be relevant with Eldrazi Tron. It's not like things are going to change anytime soon. So, Yeah. Also, with our patrons, if there is anything in the show notes that you would like to see that is currently not there, do let us know over on Twitter or over on Patreon and uh, we'll take a look into it. Are we going to do a bit of Q&A now? Yeah, so there was a couple of questions we missed off last week because we were recording while the questions were coming in, so we did miss them. But we have a couple. So Big B four four one zero zero asks, "What is your favourite Christmas movie?" Hmm. I'll be honest. Christmas isn't a huge time of the year for me in general, mostly because my main memories of it is uh, playing Monopoly till like 1am one time hating it and then my parents vowing to basically never play board games again so <laughs> so that was a bad start and uh there are barely ever Christmas movies on in my house because my mum watches the soaps and the, all the Christmas specials of the soaps and everything as they're happening sure. and oh it's woeful it's absolutely woeful so I've like grown up I've watched very few Christmas movies to be perfectly honest oh. in comparison to most people but if I had to pick one off the top of my head, it's probably like Home Alone. When you think back to like movies and stuff from that far back, you're like, I'm sure that there was probably something problematic in there somewhere. But you know what? We're just going to have to accept that. Mm. So just off the top of my head, 
I don't know. It could be horrendously bad now. Who knows? But from what I remember, you know, home intruders getting a hot iron in the face was kind of funny. So, like, you know, it was all right. How about you? What do you think? Um, so I'm one of the contingency that says Die Hard's a Christmas movie. So it's Die Hard. Okay. Okay. I'm not because, like I said, not really watching yeah, Christmas Yeah, but I, I'm stuff, not super but... into Christmas either. So I don't really watch Christmas movies. A lot yeah. of the time we used to watch the original Star Wars trilogy because that was just on the TV while we were just like okay. snoozing post Christmas dinner. They're my Christmas movies, but they're not necessarily festive themed, but they were on at Christmas. Mm. But Die Hard is a Christmas movie, so that will be my choice. I think for me, the first time I watched Die Hard wasn't at Christmas. It just happened to have snow in it sometimes a little bit. So like, I was like, this is just an action movie that happens to be cold. Like, I I didn't make the Christmas link myself. I I, I do get that people like sit down and watch it every single Christmas and stuff. And I I 100% get and respect that. And I don't understand the people that are like, screw you. It's an action movie. Like, just enjoy whatever. Whatever makes you happy, you know. But yes, we got another question from at content MTGZ or Z, depending on your preference. (laughs) What sets of partners, including old ones, are you most excited to play with? So we answered this question a lot too long ago. And back then it was Timner and Frasios for me because I'm a degenerate. Mm. However, I will change the question slightly because I have been brewing with Pauper EDH. So I am in the process of brewing Falfus and Cadis, which is the Rakdos familiar. So it's the Red familiar and the Black familiar. And basically it's just a really aggressive deck. And you Voltron up Felfist and then you just turn sideways and you do loads of damage to everyone else as well. It seems pretty fun and it's very aggressive. Also, it's got a nice sacrifice sub theme because you're in Rakdos because you have like Viscerasir and stuff. So mm. it makes you munitions as well. So it's pretty neat. How about you? Nice. I am still brewing around with the Glacian and Togo combination. Very different and unusual is it Artificer's kind of build where Togo mm-hmm. makes rocks for land drops and then Glacian uses those to like turbo through your deck to find pieces and stuff. It's really weird, but it's cool. Another one I've been looking at as well is one of the original partners, uh, Ravos plus Tormod, because Ooh. Tormod makes zombies whenever creatures leave the graveyard and Ravos every turn gets one back, but then also increases the size of your creatures. So mm-hmm. the zombies that Tormod makes are actually a little bit bigger so you can have this sort of weird, like, looping kind of almost tortured existence kind of thing going on where you just keep making zombies. Nice. That's the that's the plan that I'm building around at the moment. So obviously going to have to get those in etched foil because all of the etched foils are, like, stupidly affordable right now. Yeah, they're really nice as well. Yeah. Um, we have what seems to be our weekly tweet from Evie the Maze 97 yeah. telling us about some really good stonks. And mm. he's delivered once again. So they say Scavenging Ooze, the full art from Corset 21, is $3 and Containment Priest full art, also from Core 21, is less than a dollar for those looking to bling out their decks. And these are non-foil. So if you like the art, but you don't like foils, this is a really good option for you. Plus the art's really, really cool. I love the Scavenging Ooze art. It's so metal. Would you believe, even the mage, that you can't see this, but Emma, you'll be able to see this. I actually preemptively picked up on that containment priest thing and i got one myself because they were so damn cheap so nice they're just so good like non-foil full art containment priest from m21 i got on card market over here in europe for i think it was about 70 cents like it was ridiculous budget bling is a hundred percent a thing which i think we can definitely do an episode on at some point in the future yeah i love me some bling if a budget bling episode is something that people want let us know on twitter if you let us know on twitter we will probably do it 
You can peer pressure us. It's fine. Yeah, if you throw it into public like that, like on Twitter, then we feel compelled to do something about it. Yeah, so. like Englishmen and Irishmen are very polite people. So if you tell us to do something, we'll probably do it. So so Evie the Mace does have a question. They ask, how do you feel about playing prowess on a budget in modern right now? And can it translate to Pioneer? As a prowess player between the two of us, well, more so. Mm. Yeah, prowess is fine on a budget in modern right now. There is a specific build that I think has died a death and won't come back and there's a specific build that i think is good to play right now and they are very very different it can 100 percent translate to pioneer it's going to be not quite as good as the boros quote-unquote aggro mm. decks that basically just splash white for the boros charm but it is absolutely translatable like the main threats that you see like soul scar mage monastery swift spear and stuff they are all pioneer legal as well so you can get a lot of it in there for sure. When it comes to details about prowess in modern, though, I think Emma, how do you feel about doing next week's episode on on prowess? I'm up for that. I'll be up for doing a modern highlights on prowess. You seem to know a lot about it as well. Yeah, everybody, prepare your eardrums. I'm going to be taking over again next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philip Delmott, The Jazz Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, and Stephanie Pace. At the Stonks tier, we have a Nice Planeswalker, Anga Orr, Scott Creech, and Simon Grip. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more time for your book.